0: All right, today is session... <laughs> I didn't get very far, did I? What session is it? Session 7, I think, of a, of a 10... No, it's session 8, 10-session series, a- and it's about power, and that's our topic. As we look at this, we're, we've every week done a summary, so let's, let's not break that pattern. It's so important to make sure we're on the same page. Uh, when we talk about power, we're talking about using power supernaturally, and by that I mean it, from a supernatural perspective. Humanly, here's how we see power. Here comes power, get power, grab power, use power, and all the people, places, and things around you become a source of power. You suck them dry, and then you just they're disposable. God says, no, that's not how power works. Power works this way. First of all, God's the source of all power. He, he gives power to you to use and to, and to pass on. Now, we said, here's how we see that. We see it in four uh, uh, areas, in government, in the workplace, in family, in the church. So, for example, in the family, God provides power to mom and dad so that they can indeed empower the kids, so the kids now move out, and, and now we just duplicate or replicate that process again and again and again and again. Same thing in church. God provides power and authority to the elders, the elders to empower the church. Same thing in the workplace. And so our premise in this series has been exactly that, power. In fact, the subtitle really gives it to you, power, get it, use it, and give it away. That's the whole idea. We've said, and this is the outline that we followed in the series, we did an introduction and then we spent five weeks talking about power. In fact, we use that word power as an acronym, remember? Here's the first thing we talked about, proficiency, right person, right place. Uh, I, I had a great example of this in my own life uh, this week. I, I, we, Susan and I were gone. We left Thursday right after PL, went up to Flag, came back Monday, and we just had a great time. Fla- Flag is just, it, w- it was perfect. It, it, everything was great. Um, but it's been, I've really had a pretty tough, really if you get after it, and, and I, don't, I hope this doesn't sound like whining, I've had a pretty tough year and a half. And I'm a big vacation guy and time off guy, and you all know, we normally take five or six weeks in August. And last year we took four days, and we were gone and came back. And once I was back, I said, if I'm here, I'm going to work. So, I mean, we've been going at it pretty hard, and we've had a lot of things that have, you know, kind of come up. So we were able to get away. And the minute we got back, bam, we're right back into it again. Just lots of stuff. So Tuesday morning, I'm in, I'm in a meeting really early Tuesday morning, and then in a meeting, and my day is probably like yours. I'm in a meeting at 8, then I'm in a meeting at 9, I'm in a meeting at 10, I'm in a meeting at 11, went into a meeting at 12.30 and got out that afternoon at 5.30. And all day I kept saying, there's something something I'm supposed to do today. There's something, it's something. It's something. I get home and Susan said, okay, now you're teaching tonight, right? And I said, that's it. That's what I'm doing, I'm teaching tonight. I knew there was something I was supposed to do today. And it's just, it, it tired, a lot of stuff going on. I got back, and I was teaching our, our, our 20-somethings. And I walk into that room, and, and I got on the platform, and, it, and I was, it was like I was on fire. It was like I just tingled from head to toe. And I'm in the process of doing this, teaching, and I'm thinking, I'm made for this. <laughs> this is what I'm made to do. It, 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 and that's what I mean by Proficiency. You're just right there and you're saying, even when I'm tired, even when I'm exhausted, all of a sudden when I'm doing what God's wired me to do, there's a a shot of adrenaline. I would really call it this, a shot of a Holy Spirit that has gifted you and prepared you to do what, 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 what he's uniquely gifted, qualified you to do. That's proficiency. Ownership is really simple. Ownership is this. Ownership is God has transferred possession of assets to you on a temporary basis. And though he relinquishes possession, he doesn't relinquish control or authority of them or ownership. So it's really interesting. If you think that through, this is really interesting. If you think that through, then the idea of paying God back becomes silly because all you could pay him back with is with his own stuff. You could never pay him back. If you gave him everything you have, all of your resources, assets, time, energy, effort, and money, if you gave it all back to him, you wouldn't be paying him back. All you'd be doing is giving him what's already his. He doesn't look for you to pay him back. He looks for you to steward or to manage those assets. W was work. And here's what we said about work. There has to be something meaningful to that assignment. It's not that it is in and of itself equal to the cure for cancer, but I understand where I fit. Even if my job is just, I understand that that's essential to what's going on. Uh, A few years ago, Chuck Colson wrote a book titled Why America Doesn't Work. And in it, he writes this. If you want to utterly crush a man, said the great Russian novelist Dostoevsky in The House of the Dead, just give him work of a completely senseless, irrational nature. Dostoevsky, who himself spent 10 years in prison, wrote If he had to move a heap of earth from one place to another and back again, I believe the convict would hang himself preferring rather to die than endure such humiliation, shame, and torture. Deprived of meaningful, end quote, deprived of meaningful work, men and women lose their reason for existence. They go stark raving mad. I need to understand where I fit. E, encouragement. You have to have it. It energizes people. We're not talking about blowing smoke at them. I was talking to a group of guys the other day and I said, you're the most de-energizing group I've ever seen. All you do is criticize. All you do is is look for any flaw and you go right to the flaw. 99% of the things are going great and you're focused on this thing. This thing right here. That catches all your attention. And if you want to de-energize people, just hold back your encouragement. There's the old tongue. Rather than use it to encourage, use it to discourage. You're dumb, you're stupid, you'll never be anything. You can't do anything right. If you can't do it right, don't do it at all. And you watch how you crush the spirit of that child or that worker or that staff person or that government employee. And then the last one is release. I can do all the others. If I'm dealing with my kid and I've got him right person, right place, I, could, I convince him of stewardship, uh, I've got him in a meaningful assignment, he's all encouraged. If you don't let him go, then you're always holding them back and you're depriving them of their power. You're not empowering them. Listen, we knew from the very beginning. I, I uh, went home yesterday and Brayden was there, and that's our grandson. Brayden turned six months today. And he's got a couple, he needs, to, he needs some new tricks. Uh, it's, I, need, I need a little more. But uh, his latest thing is he, he loves, he loves to, to spit. I mean, he's really good at this spit. And he's kind of figured out that his hand is somehow a part of him, but he's not exactly sure what to do with it yet. And that's kind of fun to watch him. And, and I like to play with him a little while. And, and the minute I learned, here's what I learned. I never understood this grandparent. Oh, if the kids, you know, you pamper them and then they go home. I never understood it. Here's what I understand. The minute he has anything in him that's other than joy, I go, Haley, he's yours. Okay? <laughs> I, don't, I didn't take care of you when you cried. I'm not going to waste my time on this kid when he's crying. <laughs> you know, go feed him or whatever it is you do with him. I don't know. Get him out of here. Okay? But I said, Haley, he's almost six months. He said, oh, Dad, he's growing up so fast. And I could see in her those natural instincts. Always oh, my little boy. Yeah, he is. He is the boy that God gave you to raise, very important, to be independent of you and totally dependent upon God. And if you don't release him, you know, it's cute that he's hugging on to you when he's six months. If he's still hanging on to you when he's 26, we got issues. Right? Well, we take all of those things and we say, "Okay, now how do they flesh themselves out?" So that first 6 weeks in a sense was theory. Now we move into application. We got the toughest one out of the way, right? Government. That was just that's that's a hard thing for us. Today really maybe the second most difficult, and that is we're going to talk about work and the workplace. While the lesson is for all of you, this really applies to those of you who would say you are a business owner or you are in management. If you are a business owner or in management, you can employ these principles immediately. The rest of you uh, may say, you know what? Doesn't directly apply to me. It may not in and of itself, but I'll tell you what it will do. It will help you understand the world around you. And those of you, especially those of you who no longer work because you are just finished, you're retired in that sense, you're done with working for money, people are still coming to you for insight and counsel and you can share this with them. So here we go. The mission of the workplace, here it is, simple. To empower people to meet the needs of others through the investment of their professional lives. Let me me start to fill in that. To empower people, that is, to empower employees. To meet the needs of others. That would be like customers through the investment of their their personal and and professional lives. It's to empower people and empower the people around you. So often in a workplace, here's what happens. I become very possessive and defensive. Uh, I, I remember when the computers were really starting to explode and we were trying to figure out how do they work and what can they do. And I had a friend who was working for a guy. Here's how you know you're in trouble. He goes and interviews for this guy, the guy offers him the job and says, I want you to understand something. I'm very, very, very difficult to work for, okay? If the guy himself is telling you that, he is a jerk, okay? He knows it. So my buddy gets in there and he says, gee, you know, here's this thing and we can do some computers, and so he introduces some computers into the whole business, and pretty soon he's saying, I've got really job security. Because nobody else in here cares about this or wants to know about it, which is so often true, especially of smaller companies. But one day he went to the owner and he said, you need to understand this computer stuff. The owner said, I don't want to know. And he said, you need to know. You need to understand what this can do. And he dumped into the owner. He said, you don't need how to run it or program it or any of that, but you need to know this. He said, at the end of a day and a half, what happened is that owner said to him for the very first time, I really understand what you're doing. And I see that what you're doing is virtually indispensable to this company. It's really strange. He wasn't giving away his job security, all of a sudden, the guy understood it, and this guy now is empowering him and saying, We need to do more of this. Great example. What's the purpose of business? Well, the purpose of business is really simple it's not difficult to understand, it's not complex. It's basic. It's Economics 101. Business exists for one reason. What is it? To make money. Okay. Well, I thought this was a Bible study. Well, we'll get to the godly part of this in a second. But here we go. This is why you're in business. To make dough. If I'm in business, the bottom line, in and of itself, as just pure business. If I go to Wharton or Harvard or any other, the purpose of business is this. To make money. Now, that's a short-term view. I would suggest to you there's a long-term view. If I take the long-term view, my experience, the short-term view takes care of itself. Now, if we're going to talk long-term, we have to talk about our faith in Christ. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. I want to look at three passages, and I want you to see the importance of long-term. Long-term. So in a sense, we're kind of hitting the pause button here in our study. We're going to retool, redirect this a little bit, and then bring that long-term back to the short-term. We're going to look at at Luke chapter 18. And then we're going to look at Luke chapter 16 and then Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 18, verse 18. And this will set the groundwork for this long-term view. There is this uh, certain uh, ruler who comes to Jesus... And he says, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Let me just stop for a second. This is really important. Jesus, by the way, then goes on and answers the question. He's not looking for input or dialogue or discussion or debate. He said, listen, you come to me and call me good. I want you to understand something. The way you define good as it relates to me is that good equals God. So the question is, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And I'm now at the source that I really want to be at to answer this question. See what I'm saying? In other words, you could have all sorts of questions. Let's say you want to talk about nuclear energy. And you could say, Tom, give us your view of this. Uh, My view isn't worth much. Okay? I mean, I've got my opinions about it. I would just build these plants all over and just have a bunch of power and stuff. But if you said, well, how would you build one? I'd say, you know, I, I, I don't know. No, we want to know how you would build it. Well, if I'm standing there next to a man who's devoted his life or a woman who's devoted her life to the understanding of the building an operation of these, we can both give you our opinions, but I'll tell you up front, you ought to listen to him. You ought to listen to her. If you want to talk about farming, you can put me in a truck, and we can go out into the agri-areas. You can talk to me or a guy that's farmed forever, and I can give you my opinion, but I wouldn't listen to me. Okay? You want to talk about golf? I mean, I can stand there with Tiger, and I could dialogue about golf, but probably if I was you, I'd listen to him. If I want to talk about what do I do to inherit eternal life... I can go to Starbucks and talk to a bunch of people, but if all of a sudden I come across one of these guys and he said, oh, I'm God, I'd kind of listen to him. I wouldn't care about the other guys. Because if I'm really hearing from God and I'm asking, how do I get to you, how do I inherit eternal life, how how do I get to heaven, I want to know from him. If God's spoken, then I want his answer to this question. See that? This is really important. Because everybody's got a view on this. Everybody's a theologian in the sense that everybody's got some answer. Whether they say, "Ah, you die in your earth, you know, you feed the worms, your worm food. Or they say, be good, or whatever it is. But if God's really spoken, then I want to hear this. So here's what he says. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, murder, steal, bear false witness, honor your father and mother. The man says, verse 21, Luke 18. All of these I've kept from my youth. Now, this is an interesting situation. Jesus is saying, keep the commandments. And this guy says, no problem. Put me down for yes. I've done all that. Jesus said, really? Okay, well, one more thing then. Then you still lack something. Sell all that you possess, give it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Verse 23, when the man heard these things, he became very sad. So we see two things for him. Number one, he's very sad. Why is he very sad? He is extremely rich. And then Jesus talks about how hard it is for those who are rich and wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And, and, and we've tried to explain that away. Well, the uh, eye of the needle is really a gate, and a camel can crouch down and get... We ever at heard all... He, no, no, no. Here's a needle. Here's a camel. It ain't going to fit. That's what he's saying. A, and that's why... That's why... Verse 26, when they heard this, they said, then who can be saved? And he said, the things that are impossible with man are possible with God. Now, here's what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying you can earn your salvation. He's saying exactly the opposite. This guy says, I've kept all these commandments. Jesus said, really, all of them? Yes, 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 got them all. He said, well, the first one is let's not have any false gods. No God but me. So you sell everything. He said, well, I'm not going to sell anything. Why? Well, because I'm rich. That's my God. Jesus is saying, you didn't keep 10. You didn't even get by one. Jesus is not teaching salvation by philanthropy. He's not teaching that I have this stuff, and as long as I have this stuff, I am not saved. So I give it to you, and you give it to him, and we pass it, and, 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 and God willing, we won't have it in our possession when we die. No. All he's doing is pointing out that humanly, you can't save yourself. It's an act of God. God saves you. I'm a follower of Christ. How'd you get there? God put you there. Look at chapter 16. There's kind of a little fleshing out of this that's pretty interesting. Uh, Jesus is uh, telling a story of a certain rich man, Luke 16, 19. He's a rich man habitually dressed in purple, fine linens. There's a poor man. His name is Lazarus. Lazarus is kind of hanging around. He he, he would love just to have the crumbs from this man. Here's what happens. Both die for sake, and we don't want to parse this, but for sake of this discussion, the rich man is in hell. The poor man is in heaven. It's important to see the rich man's not in hell because he's rich, and the poor man's not in heaven because he's poor. And the man who is in hell said, I beg you, Father, okay? He's asked that, that, that the poor man would come and just dip his finger in the water and give him relief, and, and that isn't going to happen. And then he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send them to my father's house. I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear. What's he saying? They've got the Scripture. Let them read. Let them hear. And, and he said... And he said, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. And he said, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. That would be Jesus. See, I get this all the time. I love to do funerals. I I don't like to do weddings so much. But I love to do the funerals. The most difficult funeral to do is for a man you don't know or a person you don't know who, who they tell you is not a Christian. That's the most difficult uh, funeral to do. So here's what I will do in, in that situation. I will say, here's Bob. Okay? Bob's dead. Can't help you there. Right? Now, I can't even talk about Bob because I don't know Bob. So you all are going to have to eulogize Bob. So, see, I stay out of that part. Now it's my part to close it and I'll say, think with me for a second. Imagine if Bob could come back today, right now, into this room. What would he say to you? And your instinct is to say, well, he'd say, oh, I, 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 I'm so happy to be with you, or I love you so much, or I miss you so much. And I'm saying, no, based on this story, here's what I think he'd say to you. I think he'd say, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. The stakes could not be higher. We're talking about your eternal destiny. See, you better think long-term. That's what, I'm trying, that's what I'm trying to get at. But as I think long-term, here's what happened. It affects how I think today, how I act today. I become a follower of Christ. I understand who Jesus is. I understand who I am. Let me explain this to you. Every person comes into the world and we sin. Our sin separates us from God. God is a God of Perfection. God is a God of love, and because He's a God of love, He's a God of hate, and He hates sin, and He must judge sin. And every sin that's ever committed, yours, mine, ours, everyone, every sin that's been committed must be paid for, and the wage of sin is death. Something has to die. Something has to suffer. So every sin will be paid for in one of two ways. Either A, by Jesus Christ on the cross, or be by you or me, whoever refuses Christ, be spending eternity in hell paying the price for that sin. Now, that's the truth. Now, that long-term reality starts to affect how I live today. Look at Luke chapter 12. It's a great parable. If you've been around here for a while, in your Bible, it's probably all marked up because it's a guy who is rich. In this case, he's an agribusiness made a lot of money. Annual crop, and we'll just assign a value to it, annual crop yields um, half a million dollars. But on this particular year, he makes five million dollars. Bumper crop. Well, he has a dilemma. What am I going to do with all this excess? And that's what he begins to try to figure out here in Luke chapter 12, verse 17. This is what I'll do. And we've told you before, if you mark or circle or mark up your Bible, you'll see that singular personal pronoun. You want to just mark it because it's all about I, me, my. What shall I do? I have no place to store my grain. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. Uh, I'll build larger ones. My, my, me, me. We see it all over. And God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul will be required of you. Now who will have what you've prepared? And then then what Jesus talks about is, don't be anxious about stuff. Like, in fact, he says, verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, and yet they have no storeroom, and yet God feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than a bird? By the way, the answer is what? Yeah, you are more valuable than a bird. Good for you. (laughs) And you, and, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to your lifespan? Here's what he's saying. Worrying about this stuff isn't going to help you live any longer. After Jesus unpacks all this, saying, Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear, where you're going to live, he said this where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here's what we've tried to do, successfully or not. We've tried to say, Think long term. Do I understand who God is? Do I have a relationship with Him through Christ? If I do, then my eternal destination is secure. That issue is taken care of. But now I have to figure out how I'm going to live. Because if that doesn't impact how I'm going to live, then my faith is useless. I've got, I'm talking about me. i got no time for somebody who says I'm a follower of Christ, but it doesn't affect the way I run my house I handle my marriage. It doesn't affect the way I date. It doesn't affect the way I raise my kids. It doesn't affect, it doesn't affect, it doesn't affect. It doesn't affect. I know all the verses. I can win a game of Bible trivia. I don't care about that. I honestly don't. My experience has been, generally, we need to be reminded more than instructed. Most of you aren't doing what you already know. Why do you want to go read another book about something and just pile more guilt on yourself? It's real simple. Live it. Do it. Now, when we take and say, okay, we're now with that, remember we said we're going to hit the pause button. We're now back into the lesson. Now I'm dealing with work. I've got to bring this into the workplace. I cannot segmentize my life and take over. I don't know if segmentize is a word. <laughs> is it the word today? It is. It's in the book. Segmented would be better, but segmentize has a certain with it. I can't, I can't segment my life or segmentize. I'm going with segmentize, I like that. Yeah. I can't do it. I can't separate it. I can't come in here. There's nothing worse. There's nothing that Christians, non-Christians, hate more than somebody who comes into a church on Sunday with a big old honking Bible, spitting out all this righteous stuff, and then you just live like a pig the rest of the week. You treat people like dirt at work. You're abusive to everybody around you. I really think at that point, you have to question whether you're a follower of Christ or not. You may be a Bible scholar. You may have a Ph.D. in church but you aren't a follower of Christ. See, that's the stakes. And we got to go deeper here. If you're in the workplace and you don't take this into the workplace, then I don't think you're ever going to be fulfilled as a follower of Christ. Because as you get more serious about your relationship with Him, you're now talking about the area that occupies the third of your waking hours, at least. And you're saying it doesn't impact that? So I give you it from here, I'm going to give you a lot of opinion and, and a lot of experience, and, and you can blow it off. I don't, I don't care. Okay? But I just want to tell you what I, what I think, what I think is important. There's kind of an evolution of an average business. Remember, we're talking all of you are participants, but it really is toward you that are really owners and managers. When a business starts, oftentimes it's just a customer and an owner. you got an idea or you got a product and you have a customer, and your mortgage payment is in their pocket, and you've got to figure out how to get it out. As the business expands, you add a, another component, and that's the employees. If the business continues to grow, there may be a layer even between the owners and the employees, and that's middle management. Just so you know, I feel your pain. That's the worst place to be. Okay? If I'm in middle management, here's what's happening. The customers are sucking me dry the employers are sucking me dry, and the owner's sucking me dry. The operative word, by the way, in your job description is what? It sucks, okay? It's sucking everywhere. Right? But that's middle management. No, no, you kind of want to get out of that job. But that's the whole evolution of business. So we're all concerned about needs. Here's what I'm saying in this revolutionary approach to this stuff is I want you to understand the needs, especially, of everybody involved. Customers have needs, bosses have. I want you to understand employees' needs. And they're basically very simple. And to be really honest and frank, they're everybody's needs. Here you go. Survival, success, and significance. A person has to survive. I'm playing golf one day with, his, with it. in a foursome. There's a guy in there I don't know. And, so I, 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 and I happen to end up in the cart with him. I, I, don't know, I don't understand how that happened. So I'm in the car with this guy I don't know, and so I'm, 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 I am meet new people. So I'm, I don't know what to talk to him about, so I say, well, what do you do? Well, I run a business. What do you do? And he talked about it. And, and we're playing a little more, and I'm talking to him about the business, and, and he made a statement kind of out, of out of left field that stunned me, okay? I, in fact, I three-putted the next screen, I think, because of this statement. <laughs> because I can't make a three-footer. I don't understand that. Here's what he said to me. I don't understand how my employees survive on what I pay them. Now, you got to know me a little bit. That sets me off like a rocket. I don't understand that. I don't understand why you'd operate that way. Well, because my short-term view is the bottom line is the bottom line. And if I pay this person twenty grand, but instead of twenty-five grand, that's five grand I can slide right in my pocket. Now it doesn't work that way, does it? Starbucks unlocked that. Starbucks came out and said, "Here's what we're going to do. Right? We're going to give healthcare benefits to our part-time employees." And everybody said, "Well, that's nuts. That isn't going to work." And they said, "Really? It's not going to work? They're stable." There's a so you go to the same Starbucks and you tend to see the same people, employment there over and over again, including part time people. Their training budget is two thirds less than the industry average because there's no turnover. Uh, my first year in my own business, you're going to laugh at this maybe, and you'll say, oh, that's so naive. Just so you know that I believe what I'm saying. Okay. Ten, it, it, we had a small office, and so virtually any office, if you get the Orchard, kind of receptionist. You know is, is kind of at the bottom of that org chart our receptionist secretary 1985 was our first year in business our secretary receptionist that year made 43 grand right. see I believe this stuff and let me tell you something we had an energized little office because here's what we did to her we said we're not gonna pay you anything we're gonna give you a percent of what we make really you know what when you called our office you know what happened that chick really cared about what happened to your call. <laughs> when you showed interest in a property, it really mattered to her that we followed up. She didn't blow you off. You weren't a hassle. You were a hamburger to her. Okay. <laughs> you weren't a customer. And you talk about energized environment? This place is e- and let me, did you catch what I said? That was 20 years ago. I have no idea what that's worth today. Now, you may look at that and say that's stupid, but you know what? Everybody in our company was really happy. Am I suggesting to you that's how? No, I'm not. But I'm saying well, I want to challenge your paradigm that says my receptionist makes 18 grand because that's what the marketplace says, or 20 grand. I don't even know. I'm out of touch. I don't know what the number is. I'd say it's 20 grand. Why do you pay her 20 grand? Because that's what everybody pays. My question is why do you pay her what everybody pays? How's she supposed to live on that? Why don't you, you pay her 23? It's three grand. You're gonna blow that in a in a in a in a trip to oh way more than that, to go into Pebble Beach to stay at the lodge and play golf twice. Okay? And it doesn't affect you at all. And it energize this is what I'm saying to you. It energizes the marketplace. Now you just don't willy-nilly start throwing out money. Okay? I'm not a Democrat. Uh, uh, <laughs> Oh, we have to be careful. I'm saying, listen, you don't just willy-nilly pass out the money, but now all of a sudden you understand. I gotta make sure we take that out of the tape. Yeah. Can't put that can't go on the radio. But but we can't just we we can't just give it away, right? But but that's what I'm saying. They have to survive. Here's the second thing. They need to succeed. There needs to be success. And, and I will tell you something, this, this, is, this is a great truth. It took me a while to learn this. Once I did, I went, and that's right. Somebody is never gonna have enough of something that they really don't need. They're never gonna have enough of it. If I don't really need it, I mean need it crucially. Now, you have basic needs, you know, food, shelter, all that stuff. But if, if, I, if, if I sit out and say, I need success, I need to succeed, it blows me away I don't understand it I do not have a file for the person who's motivated by the potential to get a desk set I don't understand it I don't know we're gonna have this contest for a desk set if I want a desk set I'll go to Staples and get one I'm not gonna go work harder for a desk set but people do it what's that tell you for pins and plaques and promotions people kill themselves why they want to succeed here you go. Success is just a part of doing what I'm doing and doing it well, getting some level of recognition, financial success, and, and, and rewards. But many of you aren't even motivated by that. You know, you got enough. I mean, how, how many trips to the Bahamas do you need? You know, probably one more. I got, it. but see what I'm saying? If it's one, it, it'll never get, I'll never, I'll never have enough of something I really don't need. What you really need is not success, though you need that. You need that stroking. Someone wrote this People need to experience success, but once they get it, the thrill is over. It must be duplicated at a deeper level, and a deeper level ultimately becomes empty and hollow. If you aren't brain dead, it says. <laughs> so here's what I need I got to survive. And I do need to succeed, but I need something deeper. Here you go. Significance. I need to be part of something that's bigger than me, something beyond me. And you know what? And we, I, we got five minutes or so. My experience is, and therefore I'm, I'm going to pull you into this with me, is that when we were younger, that was a big deal. We are going to kind of change the world. We're really going to do something different. And we're going to be different. And and that's how, at least my generation, that's how we even, here's how we manifest it. Don't trust anyone over 30. Why? Because we're going to be different than them. Now I say don't trust anyone under 30, okay? But don't trust anyone over 30. Why? We're different. There's an idealism. There's something bigger. I I believe many of the people, and myself included, that, that were of that generation were saying, we're going to make a different world, a better world. You know what after a period of time we just kind of fell into the real easy trap and all of that su- all of a sudden we become students of the real world I meet parents all the time it's graduation time so I have a lot of these conversations now especially with parents whose kids are graduating from high school you know what are your kids going to do they're going to get out in the real world and I'm thinking you know what you're stealing their dreams my man let him dream. You want to be part of something significant. Now, here's what no one told me, but I have the privilege of telling you. I'm going to tell you how to be significant, how to be part of something bigger than you. It's to be actively engaged in the kingdom work of God here on this planet. God's concerned about a couple of things He's concerned about His Word, His church, His people and lost people. If you're engaged in that enterprise, you're engaged in something that's significant. I'll tell you something else about God, and then here we go out the door. He's not a God of end results, he's a God of process. I don't read, I am boycotting the Arizona Republic, and I cannot for the life of me remember why. Uh, I've, we've been doing it for so long that I can't remember how this got started. I was angry about something, and I said, I'm done with them. And I haven't, so I, ha- I haven't gotten a local newspaper in 15 years, probably. I don't read the paper. You say, how can he be this smart? I watch television. Um, okay. So uh, the paper, pfft. when I see a paper, like usually on Thursday, Kerry will come and sit right here and he'll bring the sports page. And that's about the only time in the week I read the paper. When I pick up the sports page, I do, I, do whatever, I go right to the standings. I go right to wins and losses. If I get on the computer on Monday and I'm looking up from the tour stuff, I want to know who won, what they win. I don't care why if the wind blew. Couldn't care less. I want to know who won and why. There it is. Who won? Boom. End results. God is exactly the opposite. God doesn't care about the end result. God cares about the process. Great example of that is what we call evangelism. Okay? God doesn't care whether you talk to a person, whether they come to Christ or not. God doesn't care as it relates to you. Couldn't care less because that person's only going to be converted if God works in his life or not. So God's the one who's in charge of the results. You are in charge of the process. It's the exact opposite of how we think, isn't it? If you're sitting in a sales meeting, this guy's not, have you noticed, he's not particularly concerned about why the guy didn't buy, it's just, did he buy or didn't he buy? God says, no, 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 evangelism is a great thing. Here's what God wants you and me to do. He wants us to proclaim the truth, to be witnesses, to declare and proclaim the gospel. And at that point, he's as happy and pleased as he could be with us. Whether that other person responds or not, that's not the issue. That's what God does. That's what God wants in your life. That's why the Christian life is so simple. Because all he wants is obedience. He's not looking for you to talk to him about, well, the barometric pressure dropped, so I had to. He doesn't care about excuses. He cares about this and this alone, and that is obedience. When you get to the workplace, we can net it out. If you're an employee, you give an honest day's work, for your pay. If you're an employer, you better understand you have a great opportunity to infect this company with biblical principles and a biblical mindset that will energize that company. And wherever you are, employee, employer, labor, management, regardless of where you are in this scheme, you have to see this, mi- this workplace as ministry. If you do not, you will be spiritually frustrated. You just won't be able to grow because it occupies a huge chunk of your time. It gets us into a bigger point, and we're out of time. You cannot segment your faith. You must integrate your faith across the board. That's the faith. The faith that we have, Being a follower of Jesus Christ is not something that is isolated. It's something that's integrated throughout our life. And it affects everything that we do because it affects the way we see the world and the way we see our relationship with all of the things around us. Wonderful truth, huh? Well, hopefully, in terms of application, this is a little more relevant than last week. Next week, even more relevant as we delve, I think next week, into family, okay? Take a look at that, family or church. We'll look at those two in the next two weeks. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can be here today, that we can call you, Father, for your work in our life. God, we pray that you would continue to bless us. You have given us so much. We pray that we would be faithful. We'll never be worthy, but faithful of the gifts you give us good stewards. God, we pray that people who come in contact with us at every level of our life would see your fingerprints all over us. God, thank you for Jesus. We pray to you in in his name. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.